Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father, true Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he had done. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus our pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father, true Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he had done. Great things he had taught us, great things he had done, and great are Rejoice in true Jesus the Son, but pure and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father, true Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he had done. Good morning. Good morning. The psalm this morning called to worship, Psalm 139, and these is verses 13 through 24. <clears throat> For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are they, thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. We pray that Pastor Gary is having a restful vacation. In the meanwhile, I'd like to introduce Peter Anderson. He's going to bring the word for us today. 
Uh, he had a great message yesterday, I mean, last week. Uh, his background, I'd like to just share with you. He's a, a family man of 15 years. He works at the Burlington Hospital. He's a certified marriage and family therapist. Uh, he's an avid reader and runner. Peter Anderson, please. Good to see everybody. Uh, hello. So uh, please uh, turn to your open hymn to 115, the church's uh, one foundation. Hymn number 115. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one o'er all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food. And to one hope she presses, with every grace endued. Though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up how long. And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Mid-toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. Till with the vision glorious, her longing eyes are blessed. And the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Yet she honored at union with God the three in one. And mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them, the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with thee. Uh, Please uh, remain standing for the invocation. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways, who have commanded your precepts. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Uh, Please be seated. If you will, turn to the prayer of confession found in your bulletin. Let's say this together. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your lost, your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. 
Restore thou those who are penitent according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. This is Haggai chapter 2. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, these words came from the Lord through the prophet Haggai. Say to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the rest of the people, is there any still among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it appear to you now? Does it not seem to you as if it were not here? But now, Zerubbabel, take heart, says the Lord. Take heart, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Take heart, all you people, says the Lord. Begin the work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, and my spirit is present among you. Have no fear, for these are the words of the Lord of hosts. One thing more, I will shake heaven and earth, sea and land. I will shake all nations. The treasure of all nations shall come hither, and I will fill this house with glory, so says the Lord of hosts. Mine is the silver, and mine the gold, says the Lord of hosts. And the glory of this latter house shall surpass the glory of the former, says the Lord of hosts. In this place will I grant prosperity and peace. This is the very word of the Lord of hosts. In the second year of Darius, on the 24th day of the ninth month, this word came from the Lord to the prophet Haggai. These are the words of the Lord of hosts. Ask the priests to give their ruling. If a man is carrying consecrated flesh in a fold of his robe, and he lets the fold touch bread or broth or wine or oil or any other kind of food, will that also become consecrated? And the priest answered, no. Haggai went on, but if a person defiled by contact with a corpse touches any other of these things, will that also become defiled? It will, answered the priest. Haggai replied, so it is with this people and nation in all that they do, says the Lord. Whatever offering they make here is defiled in my sight. And now look back over recent times down to this day. Before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple, what was your plight? If a man came to a heap of corn, expecting 20 measures, he found but 10. If he came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, he found but 20. I blasted you and all your harvest with black blight and red and with hail, and yet you had no mind to return to me, says the Lord. Consider from this day onwards, from this 24th day in the ninth month, sorry, <laughs> the day 
when the foundations of the temple of the Lord are laid, consider, will the seed still be diminished in the barn? Will the vine and the fig, the pomegranate and the olive still bear no fruit? Not so. From this day, I will bless you. On that day, the 24th day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overflow the thrones of kings, break the power of heathen realms, overturn chariots and their riders, Horses and riders shall fall by the sword of their comrades. On that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, and will wear you as a signet ring. For you it is that I have chosen. This is the very word of the Lord of hosts. Amen. Well, thank you so much for uh, having me again this morning. It's good to see all of you. Uh, So today we're going to finish up uh, the book Haggai, or Haggai, you could pronounce it really either either way. Uh, In the Hebrew, you... um, the G is actually pronounced double, so you, could, you can get away with either one, which I like, because I, <laughs> I like how you can get away with words that you can mispronounce. But um, we're going to go over, just wanted to remind you all of uh, our message last week. It was really about the, the problem with procrastination, you know, so, so procrastination was one of the things that kept a lot of the people at bay. Uh, they kept saying to themselves while they lived in paneled houses, you know, is it really time to go off and build the house of the Lord? And um, their procrastination eventually led to God telling them that he was judging their work, judging their efforts, and he was about to bring even more judgment uh, because they were using their own time clock as a diversion from going and building what God had commanded them to do, which is the temple. Well, today we are going to be talking about not procrastination, but we're going to be talking about nostalgia. So procrastination, I would say, is the first theme in chapter one. Now we'll be dealing with a different kind of, I think, struggle that many of us still have, but they did, they had back then, which is the power of nostalgia. And, you know, just, let's just set the tone right here. I just, a good question for all of you, just, uh, for all of us. Do you assume that the old days were better, are better than the ones you have right now? I know, I, I know I do. I, str- I struggle with that. In fact, uh, um, one of the things I like to do is watch old television programs. <clears throat> one of my favorite uh, shows is uh, Cheers. I hope I could still get away with that. Um, <laughs> but every time this, the, the, the theme comes on, my wife laughs at me because I will tear up. Um, I, where everyone knows your name and they're all glad you came. But I like, I, I think I like the show so much because, uh, it wasn't, you didn't see the political divisiveness that you see today. Um, it, it really seemed like it spoke to a time where people generally had a more patriotic spirit. It seemed, uh, and I miss the days where I didn't have to worry about, uh, identity politics or my kids being sucked like, Dementors through cell phones or um, the general communal atmosphere of the time period where, uh, you know, even when I go to restaurants today, we're, we're kind of like a, we're kind of a nerdy family because I don't let my kids have cell phones, but um, we're, the, we're always the loudest family in the whole place. So we're not actually a very loud family because why? Because we're talking. <laughs> so, um, and I, you know, I, I sometimes have a hard time uh, thinking of my kids that one day they're going to have probably a very difficult time having personal face-to-face relationships. Um, they're likely going to be tempted by an excessive amount of internet temptation, a whole lot. Um, gender ideology, race ideology will likely be bombarding them just by the time they're even teenagers. 
um, their uh, ability to develop real uh, emotionally mature friendships will likely be somewhat limited compared to what I had. I, 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 like many of you, long for the old days. I do. Um, I often wish I could just go back and appreciate the time I had in the 80s and 90s. And the more I age, the less I feel like I have anything in common with the world that I'm in right now. I'm wondering if many of you struggle with that as well. I feel like I, I often feel more lonely, more disengaged, even unwanted at times. I don't think I'm the only one that struggles with this. Um, many of us, as we age, often feel forgotten, unseen. Am I still relevant? And it's easy for us to long for the days before us that have long passed. And this is the power of nostalgia. It can be very, very powerful. Um, as a clinician, I often see how nostalgia can have two effects. I mean, number one, it's not always bad. It can, it can, it can actually be a sense of appreciation filled with precious memories. But it could also provide you a segue toward a place of serious regret, um, Sometimes nostalgia can give a sense of comfort when we think back of those early memories when we were holding a child, playing with our kids. But sometimes those memories um, can lead to uh, this kind of shame or regret that we don't feel like we have any type of connection with the world that we see and maybe we missed out on our opportunity. It can also sometimes make us feel bitter. I see that quite a bit. Uh, Nostalgia can often cause a sense of anger that we feel that maybe we missed out on certain opportunities. Um, but why are we nostalgic? Let's just start with that. Why do people become nostalgic? Well, we, we, we're nostalgic because we compare. We have an idea in our mind on how things are supposed to be, and we look at that thing, and then we are looking at it now, and we're saying there's a disconnection, saying there's a disconnection. And so... Um, Psychologists, what they say is that the way they describe that is prototype. You have a mental prototype inside your brain. This is the way it's supposed to be. I look right now. It doesn't fit. Therefore, I feel this kind of disconnection. If we're not comparing, we actually wouldn't have nostalgia. (laughs) And that brings us to a passage because God is speaking to people who are nostalgic for a past that seem much better than what they saw before them. God is speaking to a people who are disappointed with comparison. The former days were better in their eyes. Nostalgia is often strong because, um, is, is often a strong reason why also people procrastinate. Because what they remember is something so different, they feel inept at how they can offer any type of influence on what's in front of them. So they back off. They're discouraged because the former days seem so much better than the ones they were living in. And can you blame them? Can you relate? It's definitely true for them. The people were living in paneled houses waiting for the right time because they didn't believe they had the tools or resources to build the temple. Maybe you feel that way exactly right now. You don't feel like you have the tools or resources to build what's right in front of you. And my main point this passage is, is that God speaks directly to their nostalgia by telling them to be strong three times, that his own word will actually be cut out or cut off if he doesn't help them, and that he will shake all things on their behalf for their benefit, for the rebuilding of the temple. And finally, their future tiny temple, that little thing that he's telling them to build, will actually be more glorious than anything that they've ever imagined. See, nostalgia is not creative. It limits our insight to God's future glory. So we need to kind of be rescued out of the own power of our own nostalgia to look at what's right before us. Well, let's look at the great comparison. My first point, the the great comparison. It says, I'll just skip to verse three. Who among you saw or remained, who among you remained saw the splendor of the Lord's former house? And what do you see now? There's nothing in comparison in your eyes. So what God is doing is he's speaking right directly to what's going on. They're kind of like their psychology. Who among you is doing this kind of comparison work? 
And it's a rhetorical question because they all kind of are. There are many people there that were in their 60s. And as they're kind of building the work or they're about to build the work, they're filled with this kind of sense of dread because they know this tiny little house is not going to be anywhere near than what they left. And so he's saying to them directly, who's doing that? Who's doing that? And many of them actually were. The Lord is speaking to a people prepared for their disappointment. He's already preparing that they're going to be disappointed when they compare the old with the new. It's not improving at this point. He's speaking to people who who not only remember, but also survived to see that first house in its most beautiful splendor. There was a World War II veteran, uh, this I think it was two weeks ago, and they asked him, how do you feel about this country now? And he just started weeping. He was 102 years old. He just broke down crying. He said, this is not the country that me and my boys fought for. You could truly see something pass and what was right before me seems so disconnected. Psychologists call this object comparison. In other words, this occurs when, we, when the first thing that we see or we have or experience is so much greater than the second. It's often not a good feeling. It's already in your mind on what it's supposed to be. So for example, if your job pays you well, good benefits, you have good family leave, a matching 401k, a highly supportive um, community, that's what you're kind of expecting. If you leave that job or get fired from that job and you get something that pays a lot less, has a whole lot of benefits or maybe no benefits, no family leave, no matching 401k, and a contentious group of people, you're probably going to start blaming yourself and you'll be living with that shame. It would have been a lot better if that was your first experience, in fact, because then you would be a lot more appreciative for the next one. Happens all the time. They saw, they saw the former splendor and not only that, They were in their own country at that time. They were surrounded by their own family, by their own people. They had their own nation. They had their own history. And here they are living in Persia. There's no comparison in their eyes. And this could also be a reason for their procrastination. But Haggai does something really brilliant here. He's really kind of using a tactical maneuver. Skilled politician. He's looking at the present temple in its inevitable condition. Yeah, it's bad. It's not going to be anything compared to what you saw. There's no basis for this dispute. This structure was but a faded and dim shadow of that former one that had been in the pride of the nation. But also what he does is that he offers an anecdote to discouragement that in reflection on the Lord's continued presence. So the other thing that he does is that he points out to the obvious, this is what's discouraging you, and then he wakes them up to the Lord's continued protection. Do you believe that right now, that the Lord is continuing to protect you here now just as much, if not more than yesterday? Zecha. Raya would later say that they should not despise the day of small things, Zechariah 4.10. Persistent obedience to God's calling for them would be accompanied by the enabling, enabling blessing of his presence for the accomplishment of things greater than they could imagine. So what he's doing here is he's saying, wake up, wake up, be curious. As a marriage therapist, you know, one of the main reasons why people actually divorce is the reason for contempt. And why do people have contempt? They no longer are curious about their partner. They start to mind read everything that they're about to say. And there's no more connection. I know exactly what he's thinking. I know exactly what she's thinking. There's no more dialogue. There's no more curiosity. That's often our relationship even with God. Yep, I kind of know what he's about to do. We actually start to mind read (laughs) our relationship with God that we actually stop disengaging. We start disengaging. We're no longer curious. My second point is that God says to them, be strong. In verse four, now be strong, Zerubbabel, utters the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high great, the, the great, the high great priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, utters the Lord. 
I will be with you, utters the Lord of the armies. You see how he repeats himself, utters the Lord, utters the Lord, utters the Lord, utters the Lord. And what does he say? Be strong, be strong, be strong. I will be with you. The Lord often does this kind of same benediction or wake-up call several times in the Bible. Be strong three times to the governor, the high priest, and also to the people of the land. And then he ends that with, I will be with you, the Lord of hosts. You can hear Jesus' words to maybe Peter. (laughs) Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. I will be with you. The Lord is using repetition. Why does he repeat himself? He's using repetition to emphasize encouragement, engagement. Often we become so stuck in our own heads. We often need repetition, repetition, repetition to realize it's not true. What we're believing is not true. What we're believing about the former days being better than the present is just not true. And what God is saying right there, be strong, be strong, be strong. Don't fall back into that pattern. Be strong, be strong, be strong. I am with you. I am with you. It's encouragement. And each of them is called upon to allow God's spirit to renew their determination, moral courage for the task ahead. It's also reminiscent of Joshua 1, 6 through 9, where the imperatives, be strong, be courageous, are repeated three times to an audience that faced similar discouragement due to the death of Moses and their understandable concerns for the future. Even though the people have said that they will do the work in chapter one, they are still discouraged by the temple before them. And again, you can't blame them. Can you blame the World War II veteran for just breaking down by seeing what he sees today? Can you blame yourself and your own discouragement? It seems as if it's a failure when seeing this house with a previous one. There's just, why? And the Lord is saying this while they are working on the project. You know, it's a lie in the Christian life that we just need one commission before we go and serve the Lord. You don't. Many people remember the days when their relationship with God seemed so much stronger. It was so good back then. Gosh, when I was in my 20s, I did so much. Many, many people remember the days when their relationship with God were just prayed over and their dedication with Christ and the early promises seem so real. And now the day seems so dim. It seems darker. The fruit of their labor seems almost like it's useless. And you look before you, nothing compares to the early days in your walk. You're barely moving forward. And it's here that God says to you, be strong, be strong, be strong. I am with you. It renews the promise. The repetition here calls attention to a need on the need that we need to be reassured. But also David encouraged his son Solomon and see the, hear, hear the same uh, words of the Lord's presence in 1 Chronicles 28.20 20, where, where David says to Solomon, be strong and courageous Do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the temple is finished. And just as the Lord's presence with his people made possible the completion of Solomon's temple, so it would be with his presence that would be possible the completion of Haggai's temple. And you could draw strength from the realization that they were not alone in this work. My third point here is that God would, God's word will actually be cut off if he doesn't help them. Cut off. That's actually what it is. One of the, this is a very difficult verse to translate in, from Hebrew. The word I translated was, this is the word I have cut out for you when you went out from Egypt. My spirit, my spirit stands within your midst. Do not fear. Literally, it says, I have cut out a word for you. So this is covenantal language. Cuts out a covenant with Abraham to be with him in his midst. What God is saying is that I am putting my own word on the line if I don't promise or keep the promise that I have with you. So why should you be strong? Because my reputation depends on it. 
I know nostalgia is very powerful, but if God is not going to promise something even greater in the future, then he cuts out his own word from his existence and he ceases to exist. His reputation, which is so much greater than your nostalgia, is on the line. It's covenantal language. It's to get them out of their own heads. You are not greater than his covenant. God goes to the sacrifice of Abraham, and when he did that, he made a promise to Abram that if I do not fulfill all things, I will cut myself off from this covenant. I will cease to exist. That's what he's saying to this people. The word that I covenanted with you, I will confirm. The present help is confirmed by the remembrance of God's former covenant with Israel, that they should be his particular people and possess the right access to him and claim on his help. And so the reason why we wake up from our own nostalgia is because we must first and foremost consider the truth that God cannot lie. Don't be so bombarded with the lies of the world that God is constantly changing and then therefore allow that to influence your walk with God to think that he doesn't have the same plan as he did before. Don't follow that same logic. Consider the promises of God. And my third point is that God will shake all things on their behalf. In a little while, I will cause to spring and shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry lands. The prophets all believed in the power of God over the physical world. They saw a special manifestation of that power, an unusual phenomenon. They interpreted it also as God's displeasure when something didn't go right. Here the author is using this kind of war language to describe what the Lord is going to do. The Lord of hosts is about to shake things up on their behalf. It's not only them. He's about to be the defender and go to war on their behalf. We know that a war is not about to occur here. So what's he talking about? Why war language? Well, they're still kind of caught up into thinking that nobody is going to help them. And what he says here is that I'm, always, I'm, I'm not only going to cause the people, but even the leaders, even the emperors will actually be dedicating silver and gold for this temple, for the use of this temple. God is in such control that the disobedient, quote, people around you will actually be giving charity for the furthering of your kingdom. God is assuring them that what he is about to do is that he is going to deliver them so they can not only finish the temple, but that it'll be more glorious than before. They didn't want to finish the temple because they were living in paneled houses and they kept looking at their watch. The time isn't ready. The time isn't ready. You can imagine the concern that they had to leave about leaving their homes And they had this subtle belief that God was only the God of their own household. No, he's the Lord of the heavens and the earth and the sea. And everything will be shaken up. That's why we go to the temple. As Paul says, all things are mine in Christ. Do you still have that confidence now? You see, God hasn't changed. Your confidence may have changed. And the reason why you're nostalgic is not because God has changed, it's because your confidence in God's promises may have dimmed. And it's here to wake us up. God is the Lord of heavens and earth. Everything will be shaken up so that they can finish the project. But he he says, be strong. Why does he tell them to be strong? Because I will shake I will will be with you, how or why? By his covenant promise. He brings it and wraps it all together. That's how we get out of nostalgia. We get out of nostalgia by God directly telling us to be strong. Why? Because there's something greater that's going on, a lot more powerful than what we assumed. How do we also get out of nostalgia? We also realize that the presence of God is just as here, just as real, just as active now as it was 40 years ago based on his covenant promise. So the lie that we think that the former days were somehow better is a lie, is a lie. 
And he says, I will shake up all the nations in verse 7. I'll, they'll actually offer precious things, and I will fill this house of, my, house of my glory. The very people they were living under will offer their most precious belongings so they could finish it. And God's glory will come when they build the house and plunder the people. He will fill the house with his presence. God is speaking right to their fears in comparison. They're likely thinking that this is because the house is not as impressive at first. Why? Because it's a failure. It's a failure. God is going to shake up all things with a splendor that they've never seen. With a splendor that they've never seen. And finally, the third or for the fourth, the fourth one is that he points to the comparison and he ends it, this part, with a future glory. With a future glory. I want to speak for something really directly to you. Our nostalgia, the problem with the World War II logic, let me kind of talk about, if I, if I wish he were here. The, the, the problem with that logic is this. You're assuming that the kingdom of God was somehow greater 60 years ago than it is now. When I look at cheers and I cry, <laughs> I still do, I'm assuming that somehow the kingdom of God was greater in the 1980s than it is in 2022, and that is a lie. The, this, is, this is what is to be an encouragement for you. Your grandkids will have more examples of the kingdom of God around them than you do right now, manifested in multiple, multiple, multiple forms. And their grandkids even more. And their grandkids even more. That's the way the kingdom of God grows. Your, the presence of the kingdom of God now is so much greater than it was 100 years ago. A thousand years ago and two thousand years ago, and it will be even greater a hundred years from now, a, a five hundred years from now, and if we live this long, a thousand years from now. Do you believe that? Because that's the promise. That's the promise. So your nostalgia seems so. It's it just like, why am I even? Why do I even like want to go back to the former days? It doesn't make any sense. Actually, when you really consider that, it makes no sense to be nostalgic, because. It really doesn't because what you're assuming is, oh, that was better. You're not looking at the kingdom principles. What God is doing, not just in your neighborhood, but all around the world. And so that's why we work for God's kingdom. No, it might not be here in Clinton, Mass, as much as it was in the 50s. But how do you know it's not what's going on in Shanghai? How do you know what's not going on in Egypt? How do you know, what's, how do, how do you know what, what God is maybe doing right now in Ukraine? or Russia, or Australia, or Canada. We don't know. We don't know. But when we take the example right here that the kingdom and the furthering of God's kingdom will get greater and greater and greater, why do I regret the past? I, I, I don't. I don't. I want to be in now. I want to be here now. Lord, show me where the growth of your kingdom is right here. So it's an encouragement. It's a wake-up call. To not just be like, yeah, the former days are so much better. I know, so much better. And that's why the book of Ecclesiastes says, when you, want, when you talk like that, you're not being wise. When you talk like that, don't say that the former days are better than the, new, the days that are old. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10, he says, when you do that, you're not wise. You're not being wise. You're not being wise. So the apparent model for the present comparison, because even the old temple, that old temple, will be nothing like this small, teeny, tiny little temple about probably the size of this basement, maybe a little bigger. Why does he say that this teeny, tiny temple would actually be bigger? Because it'll be an example where he shakes up all the kingdoms and they'll all dedicate in this pagan environment where a people were totally persecuted where God will still overcome the Persian army and the Persian government where they give charity when they used to make all objectors go away or die. He'll humiliate them for the sake of God's kingdom. 
The people thought that they were going backwards when God's plan is that the future will be more glorious than they could imagine. This is where our imagination is limited because we lack the curiosity about what's right in front of us right here, right now. When suffering comes, we make these assumptions that the days are gone. That's the world sets, that's how the world causes us to have a vision. We see things fall apart. We see things fall away. We see things stop working. We see things getting worse and worse. But the kingdom of God is growing and will continue to grow in the future. In 2022, the kingdom is more vast, more majestic, more glorious than the days back then. I might not see it, but it's true. And it'll be more glorious in 100 years from now than it is right now. We don't live in a decaying times where things are just getting worse. We live in a day where God reigns and things are moving ahead in kingdom glory step by step, even if we cannot see it. And when we look around us, even if this seems like things are worsening, that will cause us to run to our paneled houses, look at our time clock, assume the worst, it's not right, avoid the temple, and just be bombarded with our depression and our nostalgia. But why are we nostalgic? Because we're constantly comparing the old with the new. Wisdom is the ability to perceive the true nature of a situation. And the true nature of the situation right here, right now, is that the temple and God's kingdom is growing, even though you might not see it. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Even though from my own assumptions, it seems that things were better back then, it's not accurate when we consider the kingdom and how this temple and his temple, now what is the temple? The temple is you. The temple is the church. The temple is you and I as we partake in the Lord's Supper. Do not doubt where God has placed you right here in your age, in your time, in your town, in your life. When you put your head on your pillow tonight, don't compare. Look out. Look out. And ask how the furthering of God's temple can grow in your midst and be encouraged. God speaks directly to our nostalgia by telling us to be strong, that his own word will be cut off if he doesn't help us, and that our, their future tiny temple will be more glorious than anything that we've ever imagined. It's a place of encouragement. Now, if you would, just um, we're going to partake of uh, communion. If you would, just uh, before we do, knowing you as a which is not the 80s song that I like so much. Uh, I won't sing it, but... <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, 1990, <laughs> which is a good song. So let's, uh, if you would sing, Knowing You. All I once held dear, built my life upon all this world reveals. And wars to own All I once thought gain I have counted loss Spent and worthless now Compared to this Knowing you, Jesus Knowing you, there is You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Now my heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in you, and known as yours, to possess by faith, 
what I could not earn or surpass in gift of righteousness. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Oh, to know the power of your risen life, and to know you in your sufferings, to become like you. In your death, my Lord, so would you to live and never die. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord, love you, Lord. One of the things I did forget, I did forget the, um, I didn't see it, there's, um, Showing uh, the pastoral prayer. Did you want me to say the pastoral prayer now, or okay? Yeah. Why don't we Why don't we pray the pastoral prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, I just thank you for our the, the, your people here, and I just thank you for for them. And I pray that you would encourage all of us, Lord, that you would help us see your temple grow. It is very discouraging at times, and we look around us. It's the darkness is just seems to be overpowering. And Lord, we need your encouragement. We we can't see the armies that are, as Elijah said, as we um, are outside. We don't see all the angels that are looking over, looking looking on our behalf. And I pray that you would give us that vision, that you would open our eyes to see who's really fighting for us. We can be very discouraged at times. I know I can, and know many of us can, and we could lose hope, or maybe we even lost hope. We're barely getting by, and I pray that you would just strengthen us. We can only be strong if you stir us up to that strength. Lord God, I pray that your kingdom would grow, that you would help us just confess our sins, and that we would further your kingdom by the small things that you've asked us to do, and that we would not neglect those small things so that we don't neglect the great things. And Lord, I pray for our uh, piano player, Ronaldo's. I pray for him as his father has just passed away on Friday in Virginia. I just pray for him and his family as they gather there to remember him. I pray for all the people here. I pray for others who may be discouraged. I pray for them and their role in their family life right now, that you would encourage them for the wives and the husbands or the widows or the children that are here, that you would please comfort them with your strength, that you would help them that your name would be glorified in their lives for the single people that are here, that you be with them in their loneliness. And Lord, I pray in thanksgiving for this, this wonderful church, and I pray that your light would shine from it in your name. Amen. Um, so the communion responsive reading uh, in the bulletin insert, if you would go, um, I don't see it. Anywhere. Yeah. Anybody have a, maybe I have it here. Oh, here it is. Okay. I found it. There's too many papers. <laughs> so, okay. The, uh, the, uh, all right. Let's say this together. It's like my desk at home. Um, all right. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is the table.
So come to the table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more. Come, it is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Loving God, through your goodness, may we know your presence in the sharing so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life Jesus has shared among all his community through the centuries and shares with us now. Made one in Christ and one with each other, we offer these gifts and with them ourselves a single living act of praise. Amen. Holy Lord God, by what we do here in remembrance of Christ, we celebrate his perfect sacrifice on the cross and his glorious resurrection and ascension. We declare that he is Lord of all, and we prepare for his coming kingdom. We pray through you, Holy Spirit, this bread may be for us, the body of Christ, and this cup, the blood of Christ. Accept our sacrifice of praise, and as we eat and drink at his command, Unite us to Christ as one body in him and give us strength to serve you in the Lord, in the world. And to you, one holy internal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give praise and glory now and forever. Amen. And take together the Lord's table, the bread, and the cup. Let's eat and drink this together. Amen. Our closing song is All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Um, and 68, and 68. All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransom from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of Save you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throne we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Our post-lead song is 146. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. 
I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place.